0: Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa cypress Cayman is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa cypress Cayman is a wide Widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypers Kamen.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart all righty then let 's get to it. We are talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart it 's uh, quite fashionable these days um, that is mindfulness and as a long time meditator myself and in working with clients on a daily basis, I have come to know the value of mindfulness in helping manage our uh, human emotions, manage our physical pain. And my next guest really has spent uh, a considerable amount of time, research, and personal experience with this subject matter. Dr. Danny Penman is a feature writer for the UK's Daily Mail, having formerly worked for the BBC, New Scientist and the Independent Newspaper, he holds a PhD in biochemistry and specializes in reporting on science, health, the environment, and animal welfare. A keen meditator since his teenage years, he discovered mindfulness meditation in 2006 following a terrible paragliding accident that left him temporarily crippled and in constant pain. Danny was so surprised by how effective a painkiller and stress reliever the meditations proved to be that he sought out Professor Mark Williams of Oxford University, the co-developer of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. The pair wrote, Mindfulness, an eight-week plan for finding peace in a frantic world. And this is Danny's book, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Danny. Thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure, a genuine pleasure.
1: Uh, this the subject matter of controlling our pain, and we know that we can control our emotional pain through mindfulness. But there's a lot less spoken about and written about up until now about controlling physical pain with it.
2: Yeah, that's right. I think you know people over over the last ten years or so have become. Used to, are accustomed to the idea that mindfulness is great for uh, you know me- mental uh, complaints, you know anxiety, stress, depression, that kind of thing. But it's it comes as a real surprise to most people that it's actually very good for for pain relief. And there's quite a few trials over the last few years have shown that. Um, you know, people who are completely new to uh, mindfulness uh, and are in uh, constant pain can actually reduce their uh, sensations of pain by around uh, 50%. And in experienced meditators, it can go down by, uh, you know, at 90% or in very rare cases, disappear completely. And, you know, that is a tremendously powerful effect. Um, you know, it is comparable to many of the most powerful painkillers out there. And, uh, you know, it's it doesn't get any better than that, really.
1: It, it doesn't get any better than that for a couple of reasons. It's free <laughs> and, it's, <Yes. laughs> and it's non-pharmacological.
2: Absolutely. So you get around all of the problems you get with uh, with painkillers, which is ob- the obvious uh, side effects. And, you know, even the more distressing side effects such as addiction. Um, you know, if um, you know, I, I don't want to uh, frighten people if they're in chronic pain into stopping taking medication, but. You know, uh, addiction is, is, can be a problem for, uh, if you're taking long-term pain relief.
1: Indeed. And, and there are a couple of other side effects that people aren't often aware of, and that has to do with brain fog, memory loss. There are other side effects that go along with this long-term usage of pain yeah. medication.
2: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, my own experience um, with, with uh, mindfulness actually stems from a very serious paragliding accident I had. Uh, it was 10 years ago now. And this happened because my, my, the canopy collapsed of my paraglider, and I, I fell about 30 feet into, into a hillside. Wow. Yeah, I and mean, it drove the, the lower half of my right leg through the knee and uh, into my thigh, and as you can imagine this uh, this this made the eyes water a little <laughs> and you know i w- i was a complete mess and the only pain relief i had with me was this form of meditation i'd learned in um, in high school when i was about 16 or 17 and more in desperation than expectation i i found this very simple breathing meditation to be tremendously powerful um you know the pain actually diminished to a remarkable degree and it allowed me to well keep things together until uh, help could arrive and eventually an ambulance and over the following weeks and months in hospital I um, I I used this meditation more and more and it actually helped me through you know a particularly dark period in my life where you know I had this huge steel frame holding my leg together and uh i think it consisted of 16 bolts that went through my leg you know so it'd go uh, through one side of the leg through a piece of bone to hold it in place and then out the other side of my leg to this big frame <laughs> and it looked like uh, like a torture implement from game of thrones you know it was a really distressing thing to have on my leg and i found this meditation could help me cope with that and i found it uh, i could reduce my intake of painkillers by between a half and two thirds and the, my rate of healing accelerated as well because obviously I was far less stressed and anxious than, than, than I would have been uh, or you'd expect. <laughs> and um, so instead of having this, this frame on my leg for 18 to 20 months as the doctors expected, um, I had it there for I think it was five months or so. So my rate of healing accelerated dramatically. And
1: yeah. I just want to just, jump in and to make one point about the rate of healing because there were less stress hormones coursing through your body, less cortisol, that the body could then do what it was supposed to do in in this rest period because you were bedridden. Uh,
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was essentially crippled for um, uh, whilst wearing this this frame on my leg. And, uh, you know, I saw the immense stress that many other people were under as well, because um, there was a whole group of us. Because um, I was in a specialist limb reconstruction unit, and uh, so there was all kinds of people who had horrific accidents and uh, were being essentially put back together by some very gifted surgeons. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, and uh, so I saw the you know the stress that everybody else was under, and. You know, that was another spur to my meditation practice, really, was that I just I realized that if I remained as anxious and stressed as as everybody around me, I was I was just, you know, not going to heal anywhere as fast as I wanted to. And, you know, uh, I met people as well who ended up having to have limbs removed because their injuries were so great and their body just couldn't cope with it.
1: For the non-meditator that might be listening or the naysayer, because some people roll their eyes when you Hmm. say meditation because they believe it should be accompanied by flowing robes and and mala beads and and chanting, that's not what we're talking about
2: No, no, absolutely not. Um, The meditation I used initially was the simplest meditation of all, which was um, closing your eyes, sitting on a chair, and focusing on the breath, just focusing on the sensations of breathing as the air flows in and out of your lungs. Um, And it really is as simple as that. And I was doing this for, I would say, 10 or 20 minutes a day. And all of the benefits flowed from that. And I became so curious about the, uh, the the impact of that this mindfulness meditation was was having on me. In fact, I didn't even know what this meditation was called at that stage. It was later on I, I came to know that it was called mindfulness, and I uh, I sought out um, Professor Mark Williams from from Oxford University in the UK because he'd. Turned mindfulness into uh, a psychological therapy that was sweeping all before it. To be honest, it was called mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, and it was proven in several clini- several clinical trials that um, it is at least as effective as drugs or counselling for the uh, for the relief of depression, uh, even the most serious forms of depression, and i i was so blown away by this research that i contacted mark and you know i learned more and more about this meditation from him and because i was a journalist i tried to get this into print and at this stage absolutely nobody was interested and i i I was completely stunned by this because i'd come across this tremendously powerful treatment for, for 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 pain and um I'd, you know, learned about how powerful it was as a psychological intervention as well. And nobody was interested. And it was like, uh, I felt like that man from a 1950s uh, sci-fi movie who knows the aliens have landed and nobody will believe him. <laughs> 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 it, was, it was driving me mad, to be honest. Uh, but eventually, I, I did get a small article in the press and the, the book Uh, mindfulness uh, grew out of that because Mark and I became good friends he realised that um, I was determined to take this out to the wider world and yeah it's become a global bestseller it's sold um, uh, a million copies so far it's uh, been in the UK's top 10 for four years, it's doing exceptionally well in America too it's been translated into 28
1: languages I think it is now Um,
2: so yeah it's 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 doing remarkably well.
1: Well, you know, we're we're going to take a break in a minute, but before we do, I wanted to mention one way that everybody who's listening, who is not familiar with meditation mm. or mindfulness, mm. can think of what you just described. Yeah. When I uh, well, I was born in the '60s, but the Lama's method of childbirth came on probably '50s. No, no, not not that's too way too early '70s, where yeah. um, women were helped to breathe through the labor process without medication that was probably the first use it wasn't called mindfulness but the yeah. first use of the of the process in a medical environment
2: yes that, that, that could well be true um the thing with mindfulness is it's actually a um, <clears throat> I mean it's it's a name that is given to a collection of meditations and a collection of breathing exercises in a way and uh you know, cultures throughout all of history have used these techniques. And uh, it's only when, I suppose, when it meets the Western world that it becomes codified.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to jump off for a minute and take a break. And when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation with Dr. Danny Penman to learn more about his book, Mindfulness, an eight-week plan for finding peace in a frantic world uh, that he wrote with. Right. He, he was your co-author.
2: That's right. Yes, we wrote it together.
1: Uh, I'm I'm looking on my notes. Professor Mark Williams of Oxford University is the co-author. Once again, the book is Mindfulness, an Eight-Week Plan for Finding Peace in a Frantic World. The website is franticworld.com. On Facebook, the page is Mindfulness, Finding Peace in a Frantic World, with hyphens between each word. And on Twitter, you can find Danny at Dr. Danny Penman. Here come the tunes. We will be right back. That's a promise.
3: We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break.
0: Happiness is an inside job.
2: Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook, "Got Happiness Now: Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life," available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com.
3: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on TogiNet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on TogiNet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen.
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, caring is sharing, and we are talking about controlling our pain with mindfulness practices, with meditation, with Dr. Danny. Penman, who has written a book, Mindfulness, an eight-week plan for finding peace in a frantic world. So, Danny, you were telling us your own story, your own recovery process, having been a long-time meditator, but then learning to use the breathing techniques to manage very serious pain and to reduce the amount of medication you were taking while hospitalized and and increase the speed at which you recovered.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it is a tremendously powerful technique that um, didn't just shock me; it shocked my doctors too.
1: Yeah. Well, you, you we had what you. I heard you say before is that you had reduced the time that was anticipated for you to be hospitalised, which was eighteen to twenty-four months, down to five. That's incredible.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, the the surgeon who put me together, he was a specialist in limb reconstruction said that uh you know he, i was in the top five um limb injuries that he'd uh, he'd ever had to deal with so i was i was complete my leg was completely smashed to pieces um wow. the the knee joint was broken in five or six places and obviously the lower half of the leg had been driven through through the knee into the thigh so um that will give you some indication as to how bad it was
1: mm. And you've gone forward trying to get the world, and the world is listening, to understand the value of this technique in, in managing pain. And for somebody who might be starting out, somebody who has perhaps migraines, um, who is dealing with arthritis, I mean, we can name hundreds of common um, ailments and physical complaints, there is a place for a mindfulness practice practice
2: absolutely you have to um see uh, pain in a slightly different light to what we're accustomed to we think of it as as something that's like objectively real and actually what happens is if you've got an injury for example you get messages that are sent by from the site of the injury to the brain and then the brain interprets that uh, so you actually have like a Almost like an amplifier that you can turn up or down in your brain when it comes to those pain signals. And what mindfulness does is actually uh, allows you to turn down the um the amplifier on your pain. And this can happen remarkably quickly. Um, it can, you know, literally within a few minutes of beginning to, to practice a mindfulness meditation. You know, pain can reduce by fifty percent or more. You know, even in novice meditators, and with long-term meditators, it can reduce by over ninety percent. And there's quite a few trials have shown this now. It's not just an isolated, uh, you know, uh, trial. It's 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 a real phenomenon that's been studied, and it's one of the main areas of um, uh, mindfulness research at the moment because uh you know people are realizing what 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 a stunning technique it is and i didn't just write the uh the book mindfulness with uh, with professor mark williams i actually followed it up with a book that focuses primarily on pain relief and that won the um the british medical association's best book award 2 years ago um, and it's starting to be used in our health system for uh, for pain relief in, in what we call pain clinics in the UK. Uh, because people um, who attend these clinics, they're often at the end of the road. You know, they've taken every pharmaceutical-based uh, painkiller that, that, that's available. And they obviously come with a lot of problems. But often, these drugs stop working. And when these people get to that position, they've got nowhere to turn. And mindfulness is being trialed in quite a few hospitals and it's being found to be extremely effective for those most desperate people
1: what is the name of the pain book
2: it's called you are not your pain
1: oh this is a great title you are not your pain also by dr danny penman
2: yes yes um and uh it's you know it as i said it 's becoming uh, if not a standard treatment in the u k it 's becoming uh, very common because um, the book was only published two years ago, so you know it takes time <laughs> to spread outwards, but a lot of specialist pain units are starting to use the techniques
1: well and the thing with pain and there 's not enough written uh, widely on this is that when the body and the mind become habituated to these pain medications that the brain is actually manufacturing, the body and brain are manufacturing more pain so we give it more of the substance. And this is what makes us into addicts.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, there is a, a, a bizarre effect that happens if, you, if you're suffering from chronic pain because the mind actually starts laying down more circuits in, the, in, in the, what they call the pain matrix of the brain. So you've actually become better a sensing pain. And that sounds completely paradoxical because you would think the mind would want to get away from pain, but it's doing its best. There's a saying that neuroscientists have, which is uh, neurons that wire together, fire together. Sorry, neurons that wire... Sorry, it's the end of the day and I need... No, to no, no worries. <laughs> Do
1: you want, should, we, should I Google that? Don't to... uh,
2: The phrase? Yes. It's, I think it's neurons that... Fire together, wire together. So.
1: Hang on. Neurons that fire together, wire together. You got this. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> neurons that fire together, wire together. Um, what that means in practice is the more of a stimulus that you receive, uh, the more neurons that enhance that stimulus in the brain uh, are produced. So you actually become better at feeling pain. And this is what happens with so many people who suffer from chronic pain. Um, So you actually need a way of undoing that process. And you do that with mindfulness meditation. It's like shining a light on your pain. And then when you do that, something remarkable happens. It begins to diminish of its own accord. And it's an astonishingly powerful effect. You know, within minutes, you can reduce your pain by around 50%. And, you know, over time, it can reduce by 90%. And that is up there with the best pharmaceutical drugs out there.
1: Indeed. Well, it's interesting. It's it, what what I'm hearing you say, it's and this is what I also know from my own experience and what I witness on a daily basis is when we lean into the discomfort or yes. shine the light on what's bothering us, albeit physical or emotional. Yeah. A- instead of resisting it, which when we take the pain medication, we're yes. uncomfortable, we're unhappy, managing the pain. So we take the medication, it temporarily gives us relief, but then it comes back on even stronger because we're really not yeah. going head on, fist to cuffs with the pain itself, which is just a sensation.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, of course, when you're feeling those sensations, it, it is absolutely real. Um, yes. You know, it's, yes, let's
1: it's, not minimize that pain is, yes. is, is, is most unpleasant and we're yeah. hardwired to be adverse to it, whether it's physical or emotional.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And but when you shine the kind of light of awareness, as it were, that comes from practicing a mindfulness, it just begins to melt away of its own accord. It's an astonishing process. You know, I've experienced it firsthand. And you can see people who are taught to meditate who are suffering from chronic pain, you can see them visibly relax, and you can see the pain just draining out of their body. Um, And, you know, it may be the first time in years that they've had substantial relief from pain.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we should bring up another aspect of pain management, and that is the secondary emotional effects mm. of dealing with long-term pain, you know, such as depression, isolation, yeah. sadness, yeah. grief. Um, yeah. That When one is in physical pain, it's hard to be happy
2: yeah i mean it, it, it's hardly surprising uh, uh, you know we all go through bouts of um, kind of anxiety, stress, and unhappiness, but uh, you know when it's triggered by physical pain, it can feel like a trap you just cannot escape from and um, what what mindfulness does is it allows you to put the pain in in kind of a greater context so that it although it's very real and visceral. As you feel it, um, you can see that you also have a life outside of that pain and you also begin to physically relax, which itself is another source of uh, pain relief. And gradually, as the, the days pass into weeks and into months, your brain also begins to rewire itself so that the intensity, the physical raw physical intensity of the pain begins to diminish in the long run. And, you know, so you actually become better at meditating and, uh, and feel less pain as well.
1: It's interesting. I had yesterday, I was with a client, uh, a, a male client who was in his forties, who was in for addiction recovery. He had had a, I think it was an automobile accident and had hurt his back. He was never addicted prior. He was yeah. given pain medications, Um, that because it lasted so long, he became physically addicted. And when he detoxed, he said it was difficult pain for about six or eight weeks. He said, and then he realized that the pain diminished once he just got off of the medications themselves, the pain diminished in its own right 50%. Yes,
2: yes. That's not particularly unusual. I mean, painkillers really should only be taken for a relatively short period of time you know kind of days weeks maybe a few months because the thresholds in the brain begin to be reset so basically you become addicted and it doesn't matter whether you wanted that addiction or you were reckless or not uh it's it's just a straightforward physical process that is very difficult to to escape from and uh you know, it's not a good place to be at all. And obviously, lots of people don't have much choice when it comes to certainly in the early stages of an accident, they have to take painkillers of some description, otherwise life would be unbearable. But, you know, mindfulness can do two things. One is when you're on those medita- medications, it can, um, you know, reduce the amount of pain that you're suffering and reduce the chances of you becoming addicted. And in the long run, it can help you come off those medica- medita- medications <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it can release you, help you escape from the, any problems that you may have from addiction. But, you know, it, in its own right, it does reduce the physical sensations of pain.
1: Danny, we are out of time and I want to invite you back right now to come back at another time and carry on with this discussion because this is really important information that I want to help the world get more of uh, because it makes us happier when we're with the absence of pain. You know, we can focus on... On Our Right Lives and Our Goodness. To learn more about both books, I want to plug both. The first is Mindfulness, An Eight-Week Plan for Finding Peace in a Frantic World. And the second is You Are Not Your Pain, both by Dr. Danny Penman. To learn more, please visit franticworld.com on facebook that page is mindfulness finding peace in a frantic world with a hyphen between each word and finally on twitter you could find dr danny penman at dr danny penman thanks for joining us danny
2: it was a delight thank you
1: well, I, I look forward to your return here come the tunes we'll be right back
2: we know that life is tough
3: and that happiness can and does live along with adversity We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break.
2: Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook, "Got Happiness Now: Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life," available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com.
0: Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes.
3: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested so let's get back to it it's harvesting happiness on toginet.com and now back to your host lisa cypress cayman
1: welcome back to harvesting happiness talk radio if you're just joining us now we are talking about chronic pain management and how we might find peace through meditation and mindfulness my next guest is researching such. Dr. Jeffrey M. Greason, PhD, is a licensed clinical psychologist and a faculty member in the Department of Psychology at Rowan University. As an adjunct faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania, Perelman School of Medicine, and at Duke University Medical Center, he maintains active research collaborations. As a clinician, Jeffrey specializes in integrating mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy, also known as CBT, to help clients treat and prevent stress-related health problems from depression and insomnia to high blood pressure and chronic pain. His research focuses on understanding how mindfulness training impacts biological and behavioral factors implicated in mental and physical health. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for joining us.
4: Excited to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, I'm th- I'm thrilled to have you with Me for several reasons. First of all, we really keep hearing so much in the news about chronic pain. You know, um, multiple advertisements on TV are always about uh, trying to alleviate pain. Um, The pursuit of having a pain free or suffering free life is at the top of many of our lists. Talk about why chronic pain has become so common.
4: Well, it's a, a crisis in America, actually, and probably in other countries as well, um, because chronic pain affects, depending on the survey, about one out of three or one out of four um, individuals, at least adults. So that's anywhere between 25 and 50 million Americans are suffering with chronic pain. And whether that's you know, back and neck pain of a musculoskeletal type, or some people have chronic headaches and migraines, Uh, As the population is aging, there are aging related conditions like arthritis and things like that. Obesity, um, also affects chronic pain as well as other nervous system conditions that can lead to these neuropathies. And all of this makes chronic pain very difficult to treat because it's, it's multifactorial. It's, it's not just a problem with the nerves It can be affected by, um, mood and stress and diet and, you know, the weather, many things. So there's usually not one silver bullet to help, uh, cure, treat chronic pain. Uh, so it's a large-scale, highly prevalent problem. Many people are, are um, trying to cope with it as, as best they can. Uh, but there's also this opioid crisis where OxyContin, um, Percocet, you know, the opioids are, are being prescribed, especially for the severe pain. But of, of course, people can be addicted to those. Um, some people overdose on them because it affects your respiratory function. If people are drinking and taking these medicines, that can be a double whammy in terms of, you um, The risk of, you know, overdosing or even dying. So it's really a a colossal problem. And and I'm sure people just want to have something that relieves their suffering. And whether they um, self-medicate or self-meditate, it's really our mission to try and uh, offer them some alternatives that are ways that they can help themselves uh, and use their own inner resources, as we say, instead of relying on uh, other people to kind of fix or cure the problem. So it's a both and versus an either or, I think
1: the good news is help is in the house and you talk about self meditation over or versus self medication. Talk about or share with us how and why meditation is becoming a more widely accepted form of treatment.
4: Well, that's a good question. Um, and I think you're pointing to a key, uh, issue, um, in society right now, which is uh, people's degree of of openness and and willingness and acceptance for these kinds of, uh, quote-unquote, alternative therapies that are becoming increasingly integrated into mainstream medicine. Uh, I do think, actually, the burgeoning science on meditation and mindfulness and yoga has a lot to do with that. Um, The federal government has helped fund a lot of that. There are all these brain imaging studies and other clinical trials that are increasing the evidence basis for that. And within evidence-based medicine, if we can have evidence for mindfulness, meditation, yoga, and these other things, along with prescription drugs and surgical procedures and devices then we have a much better chance to in- integrate these things. So I think a lot of people are interested in again not it's it's either do I have opioids or do I meditate, you know, do I medicate or meditate? What if it was the possibility of having both? And to be able to do that, we do need good evidence uh, for that for for all kinds of treatments and uh, treatment providers across disciplines from conventional physicians to nurses to meditation and yoga teachers or psychologists to be able to um, work with one another and, and respect each other's disciplines to be able to uh, have people doing meditation yoga classes or learning mindfulness meditation in the context of psychotherapy like I offer people. But I think people's uh, motivation is they're looking for complementary treatments to, uh, to complement their conventional uh, medical regimen. And I think a lot of people, it depends on the person, people are different, but a lot of people are really um, craving things that they can do for themselves to to help them feel better. So all of those things are actually part of the the field of what you're able to work on through having a, a meditation practice. So I think that's one reason why a lot of people are seeking out these mindfulness and, and yoga classes, because those are the, some of the things they're able to work on.
1: What about the mindset of the patient or the client? You know, I have family members um, that some of them have autoimmune diseases and to get them to focus on better self-care and these non-drug interventions is a challenge because they come from a generation where the doctor writes you a prescription and that is the feel-good pill.
4: Yes. And uh, I think what what you're, again, pointing to here is uh, we all need to remember the role of the patient in patient-centered care. (laughs) (laughs) They have preferences. They have kind of um, social norms that may differ from ours. So it's really essential to meet each person where they are that we know uh, we as the providers or family members could, could know some things or have some good suggestions, but it's not about forcing it on someone, whether it's a, a patient we're seeing or a family member we're offering a suggestion, a suggestion to. Um, what I've found and how I've been trained is it's really important to, uh, you know, number one, meet the person where they are, sort of be able to offer a suggestion like, you know, possibly exploring a mindfulness meditation class or practice or something like that, um, but also to kind of engender the sense of just openness, interest, and curiosity. It's actually good to be skeptical. we don't we don't want all of this to work just because of the placebo effect that people you know I shall please uh, just um, the the things work because we think they'll work. That's why the science is important, and it's actually great to come in with a you know skeptical but not um, um, overly negativistic attitude just because part of the uh, practice of meditation is, being sort of like a scientist or approaching it as an experiment. We don't know what's going to happen in, until we try. So those qualities of openness, uh, interest, and curiosity are, are really all you need to explore something like this. You don't have to have a certain set of belief systems. Mindfulness meditations open to people of any, you know, faith or religious tradition. I think it fits well with most any of the, you know, world's religions. Um, so I think some of those are, are things that... Uh, make it appealing to people without feeling forced, but just knowing that we all have the ability to, to be mindful and pay attention and become more aware and to be a bit more compassionate and non-judging and, and who wouldn't potentially benefit from that, but without feeling forced to do it.
1: How does the mind-body medicine connection improve the symptoms and, and how our bodies function? Because we understand that it works, but how does it
4: work? This is great, and this is also, in, in addition to the sort of clinical trials and brain imaging, the scientists, researchers, but I think also the patients and the public want to know um, how does really any therapy work, whether it's, again, medication or meditation, because if we're able to understand how it works, it can seem more possible, seem more doable, um, seem more plausible. And that's really important in terms of us as, as patients adhering to these you know treatments. So understanding the mechanisms of how things work is very important. So, for example, um, there's a lot of work happening on brain imaging studies with mindfulness meditation. So several of my colleagues are, are doing this work. Um, Fadal Zadan, uh, David Vago, and Eric Garland, Brett Froeliger are a few that come to mind, Judd Brewer. And uh, just summarizing some of the things that they've found is if you think about what the experience of pain involves um pain definitely involves attention um because if you're not paying attention to the pain it's not going to hurt or bother you as much so that's why some people distract themselves throw themselves into their work read you know watch movies or binge on netflix or something or some people eat some you know self-medicate by drinking or other drugs but basically um attention, uh, pain requires paying attention to it. Um, So there's ways to distract ourselves from that. But there's also different ways of attending to the different sensations of pain and just sort of knowing that, oh, wow, you know, is that is it tingling? Is it sort of um, shooting or stabbing or burning? And people describe their pain like that sometimes or tight. But could we make it even more kind of a non judging description of those pains. Um, there's warmth, you know, it is shooting without those things necessarily being inherently bad. Um, so there's the attention there's sort of how we process the sensory components of the pain. Then as we're noticing those sensations, a lot of them are uncomfortable. So there's going to be an emotional reaction to that and our emotional reactions to unpleasant things like pain and particularly chronic pain that doesn't go away is, um, we have a reaction to it, we're upset, we're angry, um, we're afraid, uh, etc. So part of the mindfulness meditation practice as you're sitting, you know, in chronic pain is to help you a be able to pay attention to that compassionately and in a non judging way to actually be willing to approach those sensations of pain and notice the, the different sensations but to also catch our emotional reactions to them being afraid wanting to get away from it wishing it was some other way. And to just we say kind of acceptance and allowance that in that moment could we actually be with those sensations and the world does keep turning you know it doesn't have to define who we are so all of that can help change our our sense of ourself and there are again brain pathways and centers that sort of mediate all of this and this is what those researchers are, are looking into and all of those areas uh, seem to change with with mindfulness meditation practice so that's really how it can work is literally uh, within different areas of the brain
1: So it's the repetitive process that is what is um, making it effective.
4: Absolutely. Uh, We get good at what we practice. So with each repetition, there's sort of this analogy to working out, uh, physically working out. We can work out with our brain and our mind as well.
1: We are going to go to a break, and when we return, we're going to carry on the discussion with Dr. Jeffrey M. Greason. and I want to know more about your research. You've uh, written a couple of papers, and I want to know more about what the research is saying because this is very helpful um to people who are listening that feel like meditation is some form of a, a woo-woo practice or a group hug or a kumbaya. Let's get together and sing in a circle around the campfire. <laughs> but really medicine medicine is taking a sharp focus on the benefits of this very grounded technique, and I want to talk um, about that when we return. To learn more about the work of Dr. Jeffrey M. Greeson, please visit mindfulnesslab.org. On Twitter, that handle is at Mindfulness Lab, and on Facebook, Serenity Study. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that is a promise.
3: We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break.
0: Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes.
3: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen.
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the use and efficacy of mindfulness meditation for chronic pain management and relief. And I urge you to download and share this podcast with anybody who you might know and love that may be suffering from pain uh, to find alternative ways of managing that pain using our internal resources of self-meditation. My guest today is Dr. Jeffrey M. Greason. He is a licensed clinical psychologist, a faculty member. He's a researcher, and we're talking about the uses of mindfulness-based uh Meditation and cognitive behavioral therapy to better manage these chronic conditions. So Jeff, prior to the break, we started to segue into some of the research that you are doing and you are writing about and mindfulness based stress reduction. So how does this help us?
4: Well, this uh, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, it's an eight-week course um, developed by Jon Kabat-Zinn and his colleagues at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. And over the about 30 years they've, they've been doing this, they've developed a professional teacher training program. So I've done some steps. It's a multi-step, uh, often multi-year process to become a certified, as we say, MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, teacher. Um, but as they've done these teacher trainings, many, I, I think almost 200 uh, different centers around I think really globally offer this eight-week MBSR course and it's really the most researched it's kind of the gold standard mindfulness training program um, with the most rigorous teacher training methods and it's the most widely disseminated so that's what a lot of people take and I've been involved with that program there's a long-standing program at thomas jefferson university uh, has a mindfulness institute led by my colleague dr diane Ribel. i was also involved with uh, the duke integrative medicine um, center mindfulness-based stress reduction program and i've also taught the courses here at penn and plan to continue doing that at rowan i've done that with um, general community people that that are just stressed with with work or medical conditions including chronic pain i've worked with many groups of students as well as uh, specific groups of um, people with certain conditions in these research studies, be it HIV and depression, for example. We just finished up a study with that. We have a study going on right now that people have pre-hypertension, so they're at risk of hypertension. And from a preventive medicine standpoint, what if we could help lower that before they actually got to frank hypertension? So, um, And we are also uh, just finished a study looking at Changes in gene expression that might be associated with this eight-week mindfulness course. Uh, so I've done a lot of different studies, and I'm happy to talk more about the details of those. But that's that's a little bit of a sampling.
1: It's it's a vast array. What about the use of um, this training in addiction and trauma recovery? I, I have been told, and in my practice, I've come to realize that in trauma that certain kinds of meditative practices may not always work.
4: That's true. Um, I definitely agree that no one approach again, whether it 's um psychotherapy, meditation um, medications and, and or support groups, or whatever no um, there 's no one right approach or, or answer for everybody so again, I think we have to really attend to um, each person's situation, how each person interpret interprets what 's happened to them, and especially if there 's been uh, traumatic experiences um, that may or may not relate to the the chronic pain they have. Uh, My understanding when it comes to people that have sort of co-occurring pain and trauma, and sometimes this happens in the context of the military or other things, it's just accidental procedure. But if people have been somehow traumatized and they're in pain, um, first, we were speaking in the last segment about people's openness and willingness. And so just approach that sensitively, not even expecting them to do this or, again, certainly not forcing them to do this if they're not interested or not really too open or willing. But uh, to just clarify that this isn't kind of a woo-woo kumbaya. It's, I really <laughs> try and explain that everybody has the ability to pay attention to their experience in, in the moment. And to, by doing that, become really more aware and more connected of what's actually happening here and now. And that could be in the body to help ground ourselves to, you know, feeling the actual body sitting or standing in a certain place. Uh, whether it's outside the home or inside the home, some meditations like the body scanner done lying down. Other ones involve eating because there are a lot of senses that are involved in eating. And often we're multitasking when we're eating. So we're not really paying attention to what eating is like. And that can be a source of enjoyment. So can breathing. uh, So can conversations with people if we're fully present for them. So that's really what the mindfulness practices are all about, is helping us to be fully present in each moment by cultivating these natural qualities of attention, awareness, and compassion and presence that that we all have, uh, really.
1: Well, we all possess the ability for such. It is the willingness to go there. And I, that's why I like what you said about having a certain willingness or curiosity um, and to approach the, the challenge of learning these skills with a certain friendliness. You know, what yes. happens when we just allow ourselves to be like if we can be fully grounded in the present moment, our safety in that moment is usually 100% secure. You know, what we worry about is something that has, uh, we worry about what has already happened or what might happen, but the present moment is usually a okay.
4: Yes, I completely agree with that. And uh, again, as I understand, as, as I've been taught over the years, I think of the book uh, Be Here Now, Ram Dass. Yes. <laughs> and um, there, there's other variants on that. But I think that is sort of a universal so principle of these mindfulness practices is, is again, with full acknowledgement and, and empathy to what people have been through that have been traumatic experiences. Um, if we're in the room with them, if it's in the context of psychotherapy or if you see somebody maybe tearing up um, in, a, in a group or a class that's an MBSR class or some other um, support group, a, uh, trying to just not judge what's going on with them until they're able to directly tell you um, because not all tears are negative necessarily. But if it is, just really being there to understand what is happening with them, um, whether it's memories or sort of uh, worries or fears about the future based on things that have happened, but to really help ground them in, okay, you know, we're here now, we're, we're here together. Um, what if you could actually let this be and pay attention to it? Whereas a lot of people feel upset, um, sort of memories, traumatic memories from the past or worries about the future enter into their mind and their body, sort of tensing up in response to that. And it's aversive. It doesn't feel good. It's unpleasant. People want to get away from that. So it's easy to avoid it or kind of deny or suppress it and just jump and do something else. Uh, but if it really if we can encourage people to stick with it, really feel what it's like, sometimes even kind of observe and describe that, but to sort of develop what we call, uh, Jeff Brantley and I, in, in our chapter, developing a wise relationship um, with this inner experience of, of fear or pain or trauma. It's not that it hasn't happened and we can't erase it, but we can change how we relate to those experiences as they manifest in the present moment. And I think that's where the skillfulness of the teacher, um, the collective empathy in the room, if it's a class, really comes in. And, and those experiences are, are malleable and changeable, um, in an individual session or a class like that. I think many people uh, do experience that.
1: And I think this is the exciting part. How quickly do participants begin to feel relief?
4: It can, it can feel differently the first time you do it. And because that, that comes back to the science and what's happening in the brain, um, how do we perceive things? Are we able to re-perceive them through this lens of, of mindfulness, of attention, awareness, uh, compassion, and acceptance? And again, not to be a doormat or, or something like that, or to do this out of just resignation that things will never change, but to really uh, take the attitude of welcoming, welcoming in our experience, whatever it is. And if people are afraid or traumatized or in chronic pain, they would say, why on earth would I want to do that but because it, it has everything to do with how do we relate to those experiences and how um, are those experiences affecting our life. And if we want to have a different life that's fuller, richer, uh, more present and, and less avoidant, um, kind of walking through the door of a mindfulness meditation practice, whether it's discovering it individually on your own or with a therapist or even in a class, uh, there are many more possibilities uh, in each moment than we realize. And the mindfulness meditation helps us come to that realization.
1: So Jeff, you have um, there were two uh, papers that you have written that are um, on the research that you are doing or or have done in the past. Talk a little bit about a bit about those papers. We don't have much time left, but I want to make sure that our listeners know that there are works by you out there in the ethers that they can find.
4: Happy to, and I'll. I'll it's, this is not my forte, but I'll try and do a, a good job of keeping it relatively concise. Um, so, one was a study we did at uh, Thomas Jefferson University Center for Integrative Medicine. Um, on this eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction program. And we looked at about 100 people that took the program that had different kinds of chronic pain, and many of them had more than one type of chronic pain because these things tend to cluster. They tended to be having symptoms of anxiety and depression, and their quality of life was was suffering. Um, And lo and behold, after the eight-week course, and other people have found this as well, they had improvements, reductions in anxiety, depressive symptoms, their quality of life improved. And again, because pain isn't just a physical phenomenon, Um, not only did their actual pain ratings improve, but also their quality of life related to the pain, their ability to function, that improved as well. And it differed by different kinds of pain. So for example, people with uh, arthritis, musculoskeletal pain, things like that, and people with comorbid pains tended to do better. People with chronic headache and fibromyalgia tended to experience the least benefit. So they benefited, but just not as much and the last point with that one was that some of those correlations with improvement had to do with how much people practiced during the eight-week course. Mm-hmm. So um, there is definitely a role of, of uh, practicing and outcomes here, not in every study, but in some of the ones that we have found. And the other chapter um, in the book called Mindfulness-Based Treatment Approaches, uh, by Ruth, edited by Ruth Baer, uh tori eisenlore Mowell and i um she's at unc now uh university of north carolina did a chapter on mbsr for chronic pain and we talked about there's a case study in there of someone that i treated uh, we talk about the different mechanisms for how it works on sort of stress physiology in the brain um how the different meditations can influence the brain in different uh, ways of pain processing but again i'll just direct the listeners to other colleagues that are doing cutting work in this area eric garland david vago um, Foddle, Zidane and, and others.
1: To learn more about the work of Dr. Jeffrey M. Greeson, please visit mindfulnesslab.org. On Twitter, that handle is at mindfulnesslab, and on Facebook, the page is Serenity Study. Jeff, thanks for being with us. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Drs. Danny Penman and Jeffrey M. Greeson, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day.
0: Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook. Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Cayman, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.